Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. You are listening to the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs in the world. We're heard in over 60 countries, and uh, we're coming to you on Voice America Business Channel. We really appreciate all the support you give us, all the calls and the emails. Visit the websites and the uh, subscriptions to our monthly newsletter. We also appreciate your comments and your um, suggestions on interviews, people you'd like us to talk to, and we will do our best to get them on the line for you. Now, this show is primary about, primarily about entrepreneurs, providing you with information that can help you become more successful. It's a pretty tough business being an entrepreneur, and the first two or three years can be hell, but um, we want to help you to avoid the mistakes that others might have made who went before you. Now, one of the biggest changes that's taking place in the economy all around the world is the growth of the sharing economy. An example of that is, for example, in the United States, there are over 90 million electric drills that on the average have only been used for something like five minutes. So it's grossly inefficient for someone to go out and spend 80 to $120 for an electric drill they're going to use for less than five minutes when 90% of the people in their street have electric drills they're not using. So it's much easier to borrow one for a day or two, pay five bucks or ten bucks for its use, and then give it back. That makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? And, of course, the two most well-known examples of the sharing economy are... um, Uber and Airbnb, but there are literally hundreds of other organizations now sharing all manner of things from lawnmowers to motorboats. You know, you often hear people say, I've got this fabulous boat and I use it about one week a year. Well, other people would like to have a boat and uh, under the sharing economy, they can have one, use it and give it back. Perfect, perfect result. Now, the U.S. Uh, House Subcommittee on Commerce, Manufacturing and Trade held hearings a couple of weeks ago to look at the influence the sharing economy and its emerging technologies have on consumers, job creation and um, economic policy. The, the sharing economy has really captured the entrepreneurial spirit of many Americans Those who engage in freelance jobs are expected to skyrocket to 40% of the workforce in the next five years. That's about 7.8 million people who will be participating in the sharing economy. So it's a big deal. Now, the hearing, you know, it's like all government hearings, but um, they both praised and scrutinised companies like Uber and Airbnb. They brought in six witnesses who spoke to the advantages of such companies as well as their disadvantages while addressing the issue of how much control the government should exercise over these companies. 
And, of course, the right answer to that is almost nil, but they'll be hard to convince. And eventually we've got to confront the question of whether Congress should respond to these types of firms. Now, a lot of people say that no action is warranted and others are seeking direct and immediate intervention from Congress. Most of those companies that are seeking direct and immediate intervention are people who are affected, um, people like cab drivers who are in the most inefficient industry have to pay a lot of money to get to drive a, a cab. Um, a lot of them who um, simply rent a, rent a drive are paying 50% of what they earn to the owner of the cab. I mean, it's a dreadful system, it's, and but they're the ones that are kicking up all the fuss about Uber. The six witnesses at the hearing um, included the um, VP of Intuit, uh, a driver partner at Uber, um, the chief economist from Thumbtack, the CEO of the Internet Association, and the co-director of the Centre for Economic and Policy Research. So it wasn't a bad cross-section of people. and uh, But among the witnesses applauding the benefit of the shared economy was Lucille Smith, who's been driving with Uber since June 2014, and who said that the company's afforded her great opportunities and fantastic financial gains. She, um, What she liked most was the flexibility, allowing her to make money in her own time, she doesn't have a boss to report to and she doesn't have to be on call. She works when she wants to and works for as long as a little as she wants. You know, if, you, if you're driving a cab, you've got to drive till from 10 till 6 or from 8 till 3 or whatever the times are. If you're an Uber driver, you can work from 11 o'clock till 10 past 11 if you want to or from 3 o'clock in the morning till half past 3 or from 3 till 2 the next morning if you want to. So... You can do as much as you want and you can make as much as you want. Yet um, there were other witnesses who argued that the sharing economy highlighted the risks, you know, in labour regulations, consumer regulations, property rights, anti-discrimination laws, tax collection, all that stuff. Um, now, America's built this massive regulatory structure over many decades that are out there to protect everybody. And what, what we've done is we've created a bit of a namby-pamby society, haven't we? We're a nanny state where everybody's protected and looked after and no one has to take any initiative and, you know, no, people can just sit back and reap rewards of doing four-fifths of FA. And, uh, you know, there's no question that and, – and that, and that just is an over-regulation and inhibits um, free enterprise growth – now, there's no question that the sharing economy will um, need a little regulatory structure or modernisation of um, regu regulatory structure that's all already there. But in a hell of a lot of cases, the um, regulations are just totally outlived their usefulness. They're, I mean, they're just a waste of time and they don't serve any public purpose. So... If the sharing economy is going to be used to circumvent rules, then regulation shouldn't be considered. But, you know, or maybe just policing should be should be better. But we shouldn't control what people do and how they earn a living. And just because it upsets somebody else who's not as efficient and it 
taken a different way route. So um, the difference between independent contractors and employers, employees, that's a problem, is it? I don't think it is. They're independent contractors. And uh, Uber should be able to treat them as such as should other companies. But the sharing economy is absolutely here to stay and it's going to multiply dramatically. You know, it reminds me of the people who hung on to the blockbuster stores. You know, they could see this onslaught of instant downloads coming and they hung on to the stores and they tried to get changes and they found they just got trampled underfoot and went broke. So those who are resisting the Ubers and the Airbnbs of this world, they're in for the same fate. You know, there are a few councils and cities around the world that have banned Uber. How long is that going to last? You know, it's inconvenient for a very short term, but Uber will win. They'll come out on top. Have no doubt. It's a, I use it all the time. It's fantastic. You know, the cars are better than cabs. They're more comfortable in cabs. They're cleaner than cabs. You know who the driver is. You've got their phone number. You know, you get water when you get into the cab. You, you're on first-name basis with the driver. It, I, and I've never had to wait more than three or four minutes for an Uber car. It's fantastic. And you can get them wherever you want. Fantastic. Now, crowdfunding is another phenomenon that's really taking hold. And last week... Um, I talked about crowdfunding for nearly the first half of the show. We had a number of inquiries um, asking me to summarise some of those points. So here goes. Firstly, on average, only about four crowdfunding campaigns out of 10 get funded. So four out of 10 get funded, six out of 10 don't. And if they're funded through Kickstarter and you don't raise all the funds that you're seeking, then you get zero, nothing, nada. So if you're out for $100,000 and you get $990,000 and it closes, you get zip. Secondly, on average, nine out of 10 contributions to your crowdfunding campaign are going to come from your efforts or from your friends. Only 10% come from the platform to your campaign page. So 90% are coming from your friends and acquaintances and mail-outs that you do and the efforts that you do yourself. Thirdly, the success in crowdfunding is in preparation. Don't let the excitement get the better of you and don't launch before you're ready or you will miss the preparation stage, which is the most important stage. Fourthly, at least 30% of your funding goal must be guaranteed by friends before you begin. So if you're, up to fi- if you're after $500,000, you need to line up $170,000 from your friends to be committed in the first 48 hours. And if you don't do that, you'll fail. Fifth, you've got to build a very comprehensive email list. As a rule of thumb... They say that you should have one email contact per $1 funding goal. So if you're after $500,000, you need to have 500,000 email addresses and you can go out and hit and tell them about your crowdfunding endeavors and get them to send them on to their friends, etc., etc. That's how you build the viral campaign. So 
in your preparation stage, you've got to get all that in place or you are going to be in trouble. Sixth, you've got to build a crowd on social media and it's got to be large enough to tap into everybody for financial support and to create a viral movement. So you've got to really work social media and that's just not an ad hoc thing. You have to plan it out so that you've got a rolling campaign. And finally, write a media release and get press release distribution to a high-impact media list. But don't send out any media or a press release until you have reached the 30% funding milestone. If you haven't got to 50 um, to 30%, don't send out a press release because the t- press will not touch you. They want to know about instant successes. So you go out, let's say after 500,000, you go out and in the first two days you raise that third, which is 170,000, everybody will talk about you. You'll be a sensation. But if you don't, nobody will touch you. Now, we're, we're talking a bit today, um, particularly in the second half, about exciting um, technology developments. And surely one of the most exciting technology um, developments in the past century is the um, Elon Musk Hyperloop, the high-speed transporter, for want of a better word, that hurdles along in a tube at very little cost at about 1,000 miles an hour. Now, the first route will be between Los Angeles and San Francisco, and this journey will take around 20 minutes. And the Hyperloop people are saying that it is likely that passengers will travel for free. They'll use advertising to cover ticket prices. Now, passengers sit in a pod that will be propelled along in a tube at amazing speeds. Now, Elon Musk, who has got to be the genius on this planet, officially announced a competition to design his Hyperloop pod in June and SpaceX released general rules and requirements for the contest participants in August. The deadline for entrants to sign up for the competition was September 15 and SpaceX received more than 1,200 entries. On Monday this week, the official Hyperloop account tweeted the number of teams advancing stating that 162 university teams from 16 countries made the cut to design the Hyperloop pod. Now, they've got to submit a preliminary design by the end of October. And then SpaceX, which is sponsoring the contest, will narrow entrance down further based on this briefing. And SpaceX, at its sole discretion, will select the teams will, that will participate in the January 2016 Design Weekend. Wow, what a cool way to run a business. Musk really knows his stuff, doesn't he? Go out, use the best and the brightest from all across the world to make sure that you get the best design. I love it. Fantastic. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've spoken about how important it is for today's students beginning in primary and high school to learn coding. We've discussed the need to reduce the focus on stuff like geography and history and to begin teaching 21st century technology tools now. Now, coding continues to be a highly in-demand skill in today's job market and uh, can prove very lucrative for the few who who have the patience to learn it. If you want to get in on that action, 
there's no better programming language to get started with than Python. It's widely regarded as the easiest to comprehend, yet it's still found in many commercial sites you'll see around today. So for those of you who have skipped out on their computer science classes in college, get yourself the Python Programming Pro Bundle. It's a beginning-friendly six-pack of classes, starting with the basics before leading into more involved processes. Once you have the hang on the essentials, you'll learn how to create a Python-based site from scratch. And uh, the whole thing will set you back only 29 bucks. Now, this alone isn't going to land you a six-figure massive salary on its own, but the skills you'll pick up are easily transferable to more advanced alternatives. Everyone's got to start somewhere. Now... Too few entrepreneurs realize the importance of the right words in communication, not only in marketing communication, but in peer-to-peer communication. We are lousy communicators. There's a famous story about a world-renowned copywriter from Saatchi in London who changed one word in a pitch and blew the response through the roof. Now, 97% of new businesses fail And the overwhelming majority of them have a great product. The reason they fail is that they do not know how to market their products. They might do a lot of advertising, they might do a lot of promotion, but if they don't motivate people to buy, they won't make any money. You don't make any money, you go broke. Now, my guest today, Russell Phelps, is a genius copywriter out of the U.S., He's executed more than 600 successful projects for clients, both Fortune 500 and many smaller businesses and entrepreneurs. His slogan is, I write the words that make the whole world buy. I write the words that make the whole world buy. Brilliant, huh? His clients become raving fans and typically report 40% to 300% increases in their results using his killer ad copy. Russell's my guest today on Bob Pritchard Radio Show, and I'm Bob Pritchard on Voice America Business Channel, and I'll be back with Russell after this short break. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. 
Now, this is the segment of the show where we interview successful entrepreneurs and people involved in disciplines of business that can help us all be much more effective. You know, people who think outside the box and have something to share with other entrepreneurs can help us all because every business, no matter what it is, experiences the same challenges. It might be a you know, one person might be in a dry cleaner and one person might be developing an app, but you'll still have the same basic business issues as you go, as you develop your business. So we need to listen to people that have gone before us and people who have been through these mistake cycles, take notice of them so we make sure that we don't fall for the same mistakes. And uh, things are changing very quickly in this fast-paced technology era so the more information we can get from others the more tips we can get from others the better so in these interviews what I do I try to find out what it is that makes these people successful what it is that we can that they do that we can learn from and try to work out just what makes them tick so I want to learn how we can overcome all of these challenges that confront startup businesses now, too few people realize the importance of the right words in communication. Now, this could be, um, in my case as a marketer and in my guest's case as a marketer, it could be in communicating the message about what your product's about, or it can be eliciting a sale, or it can be a lot of things. But in our general life, just talking to our staff, talking to our spouses, talking to people. It's very important what words we use, how we use them, and how we phrase things. And uh, the difference between a staff member understanding precisely what you mean and uh, perhaps missing the point and, and not achieving what you want to achieve is often just the way you express yourself. So I remember there's a really famous story about a renowned um, copywriter from Saatchi's in London and I won't tell you the whole story but he changed one line in a pitch and he blew the response through the roof just changing one sorry he didn't change one line he changed one word in a pitch and it changed the emotional impact um, on the on the reader and he um, blew the response through the roof so that's what a great copywriter does Russell Phelps is one of those great copywriters. He's a master copywriter. He's a marketing maven. He's um, got more than 600 completed projects from clients ranging from Fortune 500s to many smaller businesses and entrepreneurs. And his work includes online, offline. So Russell can deliver any message in any media. So he can tackle mass media for uh, a wide a product that appeals to a wide um, target market or he can write specifically for a niche market. He's created content and sales copy for websites, landing pages, email campaigns, publicity campaigns, advertising campaigns, um, traffic generation campaigns for websites and on and on. And his slogan's kind of cute actually. It's um, I write the words that make the whole world buy, quoting that old Barry Manilow song. Um, his clients become raving fans and typically report 
40 to 300 percent increases in their results using his killer ad copy and powerful marketing strategies you know it's no use going out there and spending a fortune on advertising or spending a fortune on driving people to your website if once you get them there you can't achieve what you want to achieve either get them on a mailing list or sell them something um, you know I talk to people who run newspaper ads all the time and the first thing they say is well newspaper advertising just does not work now it's not the newspaper advertising that doesn't work it's the ad copy that doesn't work so um, hi Russell welcome to the Bob Pritchard radio show Hello, Bob Pritchard. I'm glad to be with you, and hello to all your listeners. Thank you. Now, there are certain steps that we need to follow to get um, killer ad copy. So everybody that's listening to this, go and get yourself a pen and something to write on, and we'll give you a couple of seconds, and then start taking notes, because these might be the best tips you ever get in your life, because... 97% of small businesses fail or new businesses fail. Now, why do they fail? Usually not because the product's no good. Usually the product is good. It's the way it's communicated that lets the side down. So, Russell, what are the seven steps to killer ad copy? Well, these are the steps that I use in many cases to write a piece of advertising. Sure. Um, the first thing that, that I do that most people do not do is you got to do your homework. Right. You got to know who your customer is. You got to know them as well as they know themselves. If, if at all possible, you have to get real close to that. So uh, as an example, what I do, for example, when I'm writing an ad is I'll look at I always tell a client, look, send me too much information instead of not enough. I need to know I need to know everything about your business and your customers and I need to know it now. Right. That's that's just how I do. Now, if you're inside the business and you're writing um, copy for yourselves, then you need to maybe dig a little bit deeper. You need to ask yourself questions. I have um, in um, when I deal with a client, I have a 30 question questionnaire. It used to be over 100 questions and then it went down to 10 questions. And now I found the perfect 30 questions to ask yourself in order to get the information that you need to do your homework. Right. The other thing you need to do your homework on is all your competitors. Where are they advertising? What offers are they making? What's their price? What media are they using to advertise in that perhaps you're not that you might want to test? Now, especially if you're monitoring your, your clients, your competitors, pardon me, if you're monitoring your competitors and you see them advertising repeatedly in the same media and the same markets, it's probably because the advertising is working. Yep. So that's a clue to you that that might be a good place for you to advertise. And at that point, you're going to have to position yourself against them with a better ad, a more grabby headline, a better offer, not necessarily a lower price because you can't no, simply sell on price. You're going to make the best offer that you can and also the service that goes goes with the sale and so on so that would be step number one about doing your homework um, I find one of the problems with most entrepreneurs is that they they think to themselves we have a killer project so as long as we put it out there they will beat a path to my door and in reality nothing can be further from the from the truth can it well, that reminds me of a poem that I heard once, and he said, 
he who whispers down a well about the things he has to sell will not make the shining dollars like him who climbs a tree and hollers. (laughs) (laughs) And that is absolutely true. Now, a lot of times people, I've noticed this too, and many times a company will be a little bit reticent about blowing their own horn long and loud. Yeah. And one reason for that is psychological is that they're around it every day. Yeah. They're, they're around their products, but they don't know that this customer might not know them from anybody. So if you can't grab their attention, think about if you were hearing it for the very first time. Yeah. You know, it's like the very first time for anything. It's always the, the most um, most memorable. Mm. You have to remember, these people might not know you from nothing. So you have to scream at least twice as loud as you think you need to do. And, of course, I'm speaking figuratively because if it's in print, yeah. you just need to capture their attention. Sure. I think people um, have 50,000 thoughts a day go through a person's mind. They're probably exposed to hundreds of different advertising messages. What are you going to do, either through a glaring headline, the use of color or graphics, um, the volume, the music behind it, if it's uh, something that has a sound aspect to it instead of just print or if it has a visual aspect? What can you do to grab someone's attention and if you can keep them for the first five seconds, then you have enough time to develop their interest build up their desire and then provide a strong call to action so that they order and buy right away or give you their name uh, so you can send them more information, sign up for your easing, uh, whatever it is that you're again trying to get them to do to respond. Yeah, of course the other interesting thing is of the 50,000 thoughts that you have today, 99.9% of them are the, exactly the same thoughts you had yesterday. So if you can come up with a breakthrough message, you're much more likely to be noticed. You're right about that. You have to you have to say something different or you have to say the same thing in a different way and you have to say it from a different perspective and catch them in a time where they might be receptive or at least open their mind. If you can open their mind, you can open their wallet. Yeah. So the, the, the first point is do your homework. Second point. Second point is you have to make an offer they can't refuse. So in in order to do this, the offer has to do with, it's a statement of what you're offering to the buyer in exchange for what you want from them, which in most cases is their their money, the sale. So um, it has a number of components to it. Uh, It has to do with the price, the terms, the delivery, your guarantee, all those things go into the offer. So uh, what I uh, tell people to do, uh, for example, in my ebook, Seven Steps to Killer Ad Copy, in that section that says, ask yourself, what's the biggest promise that you can make to your customer that you know you can fulfill? And what's the most that you can offer for the price you're asking without hurting yourself? A lot of people are either too generous or too stingy, and it takes a number of, uh, of tests sometimes, and it takes a while to discover what I call the sweet spot, yep. where your, your offer and then your series of offers uh, is orchestrated in just the right way. Now, you remember, um, sometimes people will give a free trial or a free something because they've learned through testing that a certain number of those people will become paid buyers, which and the profit from that will more than pay for what they gave away for free in order to get someone to try them. That's what's called reversing the risk. You put the risk on yourself instead of on the customer because every time a customer does business with a new company, they're taking a risk. Are they they going to get what they ordered? Is it going to be 
as it was advertised? Are they going to be happy with it over the long term? Are all the promises the company made going to bear out in real life? They're taking a risk every time they take out their credit card or, or pay for what you're, you're offering them. So the, most, the more that you can do in your offer to reverse the risk and put it on yourself with either a strong guarantee, a free sample, a lost leader, a free consultation, a big promise, yes. that's going to increase your response rate. Absolutely. So, so the offer basically consists of your product or service, any bonuses or extras that go with it, the price, the terms of, of payment, and the guarantee that goes with it. Too many people that I come across um, think that price is the be-all and end-all, and I'm always saying to them that um, price, I'm not saying you can ask ridiculous amounts for um uh, for your product but as long as you're competitive and studies that were done by PricewaterhouseCoopers show that somebody who's a uh, customer service leader can charge up to 13% more for their product and still get the sale than somebody who doesn't provide great service so um, and in, in a lot of cases 13% in retail can double your profit. Exactly right. The, the key thing that I've learned about price is that price is a function of value. Absolutely. It, it's a function of the perceived value. If someone thinks your widget is worth $10,000, that's what you should be selling it for. Absolutely. If they, if they think it's worth a dollar and a half, that's what you should be selling it for. And if you can't sell it at that price and get a profit, you should pick another business or pick another product. Yep. Couldn't yeah. agree more. So a, a lot of people uh, think that price is a function of what it costs them. Yep. In other words, here's our product cost. Let's double that, and that's our price. Yeah. And and they're uh, they're they're watching money flush down the toilet every time they do that. And a lot of people, um, I was I started working. I did some work for um, a big grocery chain in America, and I, donkeys years ago, a lot, a lot of years ago now. And when I looked at their how they price their products, something that they buy for a dollar may be costing them in real terms a dollar forty because they take into account their shelf space, the wages for the um, the um, shelf loaders. They take into account all those things that are actually sort of hidden costs, and it's amazing what a product can cost. And uh, I talk to people who say, "Well, I bought it for a dollar and I sold it for a dollar twenty, so I made twenty percent." Wrong. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right about that. So that's number two, make them an offer they can't refuse. Number three? Well, number three, when you start to write, you need to sell the benefits. A lot of people try to sell the product features. In yeah. other words, the size, the shape, the color. But they don't sell the benefit that the buyer is going to enjoy. So I say sell the benefits and feature the features. Yeah, nobody the, ever bought a feature, did they? Nope, they buy what it's going to do for them. Yep. For example, people want to make money, save money. They want to feel happier. They want to feel more powerful, healthier, more joyful. They want to feel sexier. They want to be smarter, more energetic, more attractive. They want to be safer and more secure. They want to be more likable. Uh, all those things are benefits that they want to receive, and you need to tell them all the benefits they will enjoy as a result. Are they going to save time or money? Are they gonna, all those benefits I mentioned? you need to find a way to weave the promise of those benefits and make sure them picture with pleasure in their mind 
enjoying those benefits after they've used the product. Yep. That's that's a psychological thing that a lot of people don't get, but it's it's projecting them mentally and psychologically into the future after they have experience the benefits of your product and so psychologically they've projected themselves into the future and they are they've already become your customer in their mind yep. if you can get them to do that then you can sell them your home and host uh, yep. okay so number three sell benefits number four number four is you need to get their attention once you uh in the first part of the ad either with a headline some kind of uh, a graphic, some kind of a sound element, if it's if it's uh, uh, audio or visual, and you need to communicate your strongest benefit in the headline. Now, what I found is that sometimes eighty percent of the success of any ad is dependent on the headline. No matter what, if the headline doesn't hit them between the eyes and arouse enough interest to keep them reading, you will not sell them. It's as simple as that. Now, I've shown uh, in tests that sometimes one headline, you talked about the advertiser beforehand who only changed one word and beat the pants off the previous ad. Yep. Well, I found that sometimes one headline will outpull another headline as much as 20 times in the number of orders that you get. Yeah, absolutely. It's a- and I'm continually amazed and surprised at that. That's why even, even though I have an, uh, sometimes a very good idea of what kind of headline will work once I'm in the middle of the ad, I don't take anything for granted because the customers, when the actual response re- returns come in, will either surprise you or disappoint you continuously. So that's where you have to be somewhat scientific. And I recommend testing a number of different headlines and openings in order to see what's going to get the most response. Because yep. the, more, the more people that you grab attention, the more people you then have next to be able to develop their interest and their desire so that you can again get the sale. Yeah, I've always found that one of the keys to success in this area is test, test, test. And when you've tested it, test it again. Yeah. In fact, I found that a lot of companies will do tests right up front. And a lot of times when I do an ad campaign, I'll provide two or three different testable variations to see what gets the most. And then where a lot and a number of companies will do that. But where they fall down after that is they think they've got a winner and they just run with it down the field. But hey, what if you went back and kept that as your control piece? In other words, your best performing piece at this point and then continually keep on testing. Because think about this, if you can increase your response rate by even a fraction of a percent, how many more thousands of dollars is that going to put in your pocket at the end of the year? Absolutely. Um, the, other, the other place where headlines are critical uh, is um, with emails. You know, I get, I get a couple hundred emails a day and I, I, I flick through and if the headline doesn't grab me, I'm gone. Are you referring to the subject line the in this subject case? subject line, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I've done the same thing with uh, A-B split tests with emails, and a lot of times one subject line will outpull another one 10, 15 times, and you can track that by or by, clip, by uh, tracking your open rates. Yeah, sure. And all, then also using a, um, a testing service like Bitly or TinyURL to see which of these, uh, which of the emails gets more orders. Yeah, it's, um, it's always it's always difficult to um, create email subject lines I reckon very difficult it, it, sometimes I spend as much time on that as I do on the body yeah of, of the email yeah so do I it's pain in the ass <laughs> um, okay so for the for 
for those listeners. One is do your homework. The second one is make them an offer they can't refuse. The third is sell benefits, don't sell features. Features never sold anybody anything. Four, get their attention with the headline and the graphic. Um, often, up to 90% of people only read the headline, and if the headline doesn't grab them, they're gone. So we're up to number five. What's number five, Russell? Uh, I mentioned it a couple times earlier, but you have to develop their interest. Yeah. And I call that weaving the web. Once you caught the spider, once the spiders caught something in the web, then they weave the web around them to capture them. Okay. So at that, so that's where I actually the in in a piece of advertising where the copy begins to develop itself. Past the headline, you might have a subheadline. You might have an opening or first paragraph. Then you may have um, what I call a, a benefit feature testimonial cycle, where you state the benefit. You tell make or save money or save time, the benefits I mentioned earlier. Then you tell the feature that delivers that benefit. Then you include a buyer testimonial that proves that they enjoy that benefit. Like, right. for example, the, for, here's an example of a benefit feature testimonial. This widget will double or triple your assembly line speed. That's the benefit. Right. Because, because of the state-of-the-art proprietary chip developed by our engineers. That's the feature. Right. In fact, Bob Adams of TechHound System says our production capacity is up by 217% since we installed your widgets in our plant. And my controller tells me that it increased our bottom line profits last quarter by 32%. That's a testimonial. Right. So if you combine that and continue to weave that, then you can use bullets. You can restate your offer, giving reasons why, credibility, proof, and scarcity. And then that's when it gets down to your call to action where you ask for the order. Sure. So how effective is telling a story in advertising? Storytelling is extremely effective if it's the kind of story that I just told where someone else went through a process where they were in your shoes, they had a problem like yours, they found this solution, they used it, they were successful, they had a victory, and they're happy with it. Right. The kind of stories from a buyer that tells a, a satisfying experience they had purchasing from your company where you can relate to. Those are the best stories. Yeah, I agree. Um, number six. No, number six, I mentioned a little bit, when that's you have to develop their desire. You have to, as you develop, once you got their attention, you develop their interest, you have to make them want it. The, every decision we make um, is made emotionally, initially. doesn't matter what it is, if you, you know, what sort of a casket to bury your grandmother in. The, um, the decision's initially an emotional decision, and then people go ahead and, and um, um, justify it pragmatically. So how much of your cell... You know, I, I've done projects for people like Toyota where you get a brochure and then you emotionalize it. That doesn't mean filling it up with all sorts of sloppy stuff, but you make it more personal, more emotional, sell the emotional benefits of, of, um, of, of the vehicle and your um, results go through the roof. 
I agree. I agree. People will buy on emotion. They'll justify it by logic. It's a little slightly different if they're buying for their business. For example, if you're a purchasing company and you're spending your boss's money because you'll have to justify it to him. So they will look for a little bit more factual um, detail behind it. But at the same time, everyone has an emotional component. And if you can touch that hot button uh, and as many hot buttons as you can, then you're your chances of making the sale are that much greater. How early um, in the pitch should you be um, uh, building this emotional connection? Right from the right from the get go, right from the right, headline, right from the get go. And it's not just emotion or logic. What I talk about more is capturing their imagination. Right. Imagination is the key, and imagination has the component of sight, sound, smell, taste, feel. And like I said earlier, if you can make them picture with pleasure, enjoying the benefits after they have become your customer, then in your mind, you've already sold them. They've sold themselves in their imagination and they're already imagining themselves being a happy customer. Right. So at that point, it's just a matter of getting them to actually take the action to have that manifest itself in their in their real experience. So imagination is the key and logic and emotion are two key components to imagination. The other components are all five senses. Okay, number seven. Number seven is the call to action. Yep. Call, click, get out your credit card, click to order now, call this 800 number now, make an appointment with our salesman, what it actually takes to shake hands on the deal and exchange their money for what you're selling. It is amazing. If you if you pick up today's um, New York Times or wherever you are and you go through the advertisements that are there, it is amazing how few people have any call to action whatsoever. Yeah, I, I find it amazing. I, I hear a I hear a huge toilet flushing sound when I say that. Some advertise some advertising agency has given him a three martini lunch and sold him on buying space. Yeah, it's 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 very sad. I'm not a great um, supporter of newspaper advertising, so I think anybody who can convince their client to buy. Um, newspaper advertising is probably pretty creative in the first place so it's a pity not to follow it through <laughs> yeah there's a, it reminds me of another old saying where there's an advertising manager sitting around and saying I know I'm wasting half of my advertising budget I just don't know which half yeah I think it's, it's probably more like 90% these days yeah um, but I, and I would submit it's the 90% that you're not tracking if yeah. you don't have if you don't have a way to track which of your advertising pieces are producing which sales, then you probably are wasting your money. Yeah. And, 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 and even if you're not wasting your money, you'll never know it because you don't have proof. That's true. Now, sure, so does the same approach um, work in all um, communication vehicles? I mean, today we have, we've got our... Um, digital, all our digital media, we've got our social media, we've got newspapers, radio, advertising, blog, we've got all sorts of different um, vehicles to communicate our sales message. Do we use the same message for all of them? 
I think the same principles apply. The message needs to be tailored toward the medium itself and what it is you're trying to get them to do. Uh, for example, if you're trying to just generate a lead so that you can then follow up with your full sales material, that's one thing. If you're making a, a direct sale off of a, a website or a landing page, that's another thing. But I think the same psychology applies. In fact, when, when, uh, when Twitter first came out, you have 140 characters to get them to do whatever you want them to do. I said, well, that's just the same thing we used to do pre-internet days with classified ads. Yeah, exactly. You had a few words to, in order to get them to take action to get more information. It's the same thing you're doing on Twitter. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. All right. So they're the, they're the things people should do. And just quickly running through them. Do your homework. Make them an offer they can't refuse. Sell benefits, not features. Get their attention. Develop their interest. Um, call to action. Um, all right. So what are, what are the biggest mistakes that people make in their advertising? <laughs> Uh, I think the biggest mistake is they don't follow this process. Right. And, uh, and another thing I would say is that people, um, their messages are not customer focused. Right. For example, a, a company, uh, if you look at their literature where they talk about, in fact, I would say to your listeners, look at your all your marketing materials. How much of it do you spend talking about yourself? your company, how long you've been in business, yep. how many employees you have, what a beautiful location you have, how clean your restrooms are, um, about the features of your products, instead of focusing on the customer and their needs and the benefits that you can provide to them to satisfy those needs. Absolutely that would be true. I would say another mistake is that their messages are not clear. Yep. In other words... They're not specifically taking the reader by the hand and leading them all the way through the process we just mentioned, all the way through the call to action. Another thing I would say is that they're not compelling. Yes. They're just saying, hello, how are you? We're fine. Here we are. Instead of, uh, you know, like I said, screaming, climb a tree and scream. Uh, figuratively speaking, grab them by the throat, yep. shake them, shake them out of the trance that most people walk around in all day, and say, "Hey, listen, what I have to say is very important. Listen to me." The the ones I love are the brochures that have a photograph of their office on which they take on a Sunday so they don't disrupt anybody with an absolutely <laughs> empty car park. Well, the parking lot hasn't got a car in it. And it's, jeez, I'd never go there. No other bastard goes there, so why should I? Okay, we're, we're running out of time. I know you've got a free ebook, Seven Steps to Killer Ad Copy, because I now have it. So, how can our listeners get a free copy of the ebook? Really simple. While you have your notebook and your and your pencil handy, write down this email address. It's a special email address I made up for this offer, and it's the following Poetry Man. 123 at gmail. That's P O E T R Y M A N 123 at gmail. Simply send me an email to that address and in the subject line say send seven steps okay. and I'll send it right back to you. Great. Russell Phelps, thank you very much for being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. Now, you're so that they can email you if they want got any questions they can just e email you again at poetryman123 
They can email me any questions they have to follow up at that same email address. Or if people like to talk on Skype, my Skype name is RussMan108, R-U-S-S-M-A-N-108, and I will respond to your invitation to connect on Skype. Terrific. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on the Voice America Business Network, and I'll be back with our email segment after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel, the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. Over the past 10 years, there's been a, a huge move towards encouraging more and more bicyclists, bicyclists, in cities um, to uh, achieve a couple of things. Firstly, less congestion on the road and a healthier populace. And the result is that cities have seen two-wheel traffic increase huge amounts in some cities up to 400%. Now, that's a fantastic upside, but there's also a downside. And the downside is that there's 741 bike-related roadway deaths with the leading cause of these fatalities being drivers striking bikers from behind. So, you know, we see things all the time. Look out for bicycles. They've got rides to the road too, all those things. And, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of bicy- bicyclists um, abuse that and uh, seem to think that the road rules aren't meant for them, however. And uh, when you look at cars... Cars have been made safer and safer and safer and safer with side impact bags. You know, they've got, now got backup cameras. They've got um, uh, sensors that detect if you're getting too close to another vehicle. There's all sorts of things to protect the driver of the car, but there's not much to protect the, um, the bicyclists. They're pretty exposed, and uh, they're not protected by any sort of infrastructure that's going to keep them safe. So, short of better helmets to stop you breaking your head open, there's not much that's out there to um, to assist this huge increase in bicyclists. Well, Garmin have a new $199 Varia rear view radar alert, and this um, averts alerts riders about vehicles approaching from behind. Now, um, even most cars don't do that, but the battery-powered Varia consists of a head unit, which serves as a display, and a tail unit, which emits radio waves and doubles as a safety light. The head unit's display has an ambient light sensor that adjusts the display's brightness, and that helps uh, save battery life and uh, it's also got a connection indicator light a status light for both the front and the rear unit 
but the important lights are in the center column. A threat level LED changes color to indicate a range of factors from green for empty roads behind you to red for a car that's fast approaching from the rear. Finally, there's a pair of vehicle position LEDs which move up the column as the vehicles get closer. And what is fantastic is that the Varia can keep track of two incoming cars at the same time. So you can sit there and watch two vehicles coming up behind you, realising that they're approaching fast and keep track of just how close they're getting, which warns you to take evasive action if you need to. So while we're speaking about technology, why don't we just have a quick look at some of the top tech product designs of the last 12 months or so. One of these 10 would have to be Nest, N-E-S-T, and they want to turn your home into a smart device. The home automation system includes internet-connected smoke detectors and thermostats, which have screens and very chic round designs. A huge design boost for devices that haven't really changed in recent decades and are pretty ugly. So that's good to um, make your home into a smart house. Another great tech design is DJI Inspire 1. And uh, this is a great quadcopter that retains the simple style that's made their drones so popular, but added 4K video capability and the ability to transmit the HD video wirelessly to an on-ground device. And the new ground-facing camera also allows Inspire 1 to fly steadily and keep the video footage clean. So that's cool. The Tesla Model S has got to be probably the greatest vehicle that's ever been manufactured. And uh, it has a whole lot of features, but one of them is instantaneous acceleration from a stop. And very few cars have that. It's a phenomenal car and is on the top of my bucket list. Finally, the Osmo Tangram brings virtual, virtual play to life, a reflector equipped with artificial intelligence, snaps over your iPad camera and can sense when objects are moving or have been drawn on a panel in front of it. Kids absolutely love it, so you should have a good look at it. Make sure you subscribe to my monthly newsletter and the radio show summary, which is sent out to over 16,000 business executives in over 60 countries every month. Just subscribe by going to bobpritchard.com. Now, if you're not a member yet of the American Institute for Sales, Marketing and Management, and you're serious about improving your skill set, your status, and your network of people, you should join today. So go to aismm.us and join now. Have a good look at the um, advisory panel, for example. It is incredible. So thanks for joining us on today's show, and we look forward to you joining us again next week. In the meanwhile, remember, if you're not really pushing the envelope and are not living right on the edge, then you're just taking up way too much space. So get out of the road of someone who wants to achieve. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. This is Bob Pritchard, and I look forward to your company again next week.
You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.